The story of Absalom and David is sad, to say the least. A story of revenge against a sister who was raped and then a father that was pursued by his own son. This story comes up, and it is not our text for today, but it tells us some things as we go into our text in Genesis chapter 31 today. And I can't help but wonder and look at Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. David is being pursued by his own son who desires to kill him. David is hiding in the caves outside of Jerusalem. It says, O Yahweh, how my adversaries have become many. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. There is no salvation for him in God. From the outside of the situation, it does not look like God is working. From the outside of that situation, as looking, looking down and seeing what is occurring, how could this possibly happen to a God-fearing man that his own son would seek to murder him? How could it happen? Turn with me to Genesis chapter 31 as we take a look at the text for today. We'll note that the title is, But God. The wonderful conjunctions that are found in our scripture that tell us so much about God and so much about our situation and so much about what he does. But God. Four parts we will be looking at, and we know that Jacob has fled with his two wives and his flocks away from Laban. Laban was out doing the uh, out uh, out doing the fleecing of the sheep, and Jacob has taken that period of time to leave. I'm getting out of town. Remember, his, the, the countenance of that whole family has turned against him. That family who he lived with, his father-in-law, his brothers-in-law, he could tell something was wrong. He knew the Lord was working with the flock. He knew that he was receiving his wage regardless of what Laban was doing to prevent that. He looks around. Previously, happy or accepting faces have now been changed and turned against him. That people that he knew as family for 20 years are now arrayed against him. Not physically yet, but he can tell there's been a change. I'm certain you have been around people that have done that. Maybe perhaps you've done it yourself. Perhaps you've been wronged or perceived you were wronged and all of a sudden that person that you were friendly towards, they say to you, what's wrong? They say to you, something's different. But this is on a large scale. This is, this is something massive. This is something that has caused Jacob 
and Leah and Rachel to run with the flocks with us. We're going back to dad's house. You haven't met my father yet, he would say, but he's a pretty cool guy. Doesn't know his mother's dead yet. But you're going to see, and probably thinks he's going to see his mother. But he's heading back to the land that he came from. Because remember, the Lord said, you will sojourn in this land. You will only be temporarily in Mesopotamia. You won't be there for the entirety of your life. But we know that sometimes we only stay at a place for a certain period of time. We're only going to stay here a little bit, but then all of a sudden it becomes normal. It becomes our home. Certain, the other pastor, John, can say that. I was only going to be in Pennsylvania temporarily, and 16, 17 years go down the road, and it seems it's pretty permanent, right? But he's uprooting everything. And I just love just sitting here thinking, I just love this image, you know, uh, it, it can't help but think to myself, there is something when we have, when the scripture tells us about people in tents, tents are not permanent. We see that when, when they go out of Egypt, that the, that the tabernacle is in a tent. It is not meant to be permanent, right? And so we, we have them here, and they're, and they're out, uh, they, they run away, and they're, they're into, the, into the hill country. Rachel's taken her father's God. Teraphim, in case you're wondering, is what they're referred to as. The household God. It says in verse 22 of chapter 31 that it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled. Interesting choice of words. He didn't leave. Uh, he didn't take a halak, which would be a walk-in in Hebrew. It said he fled. Getting out of Dodge. This is no longer a good country for me. It's no longer my home country. He fled. He left in a hurry. You can almost see the cloud of dust behind him. It's told to Laban that he fled. So in verse 23, it says that he, Laban, took his relatives with him and pursued him a distance of seven days' journey. I had to chuckle when I read that. You know, I, when I think of distance, I don't measure it in time, right? But, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense here. I mean, this is, this is something that they would know. You know, they don't have the odometers. They don't have those sorts of things. It took him seven days to get there. And he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. So we stop and we pause there for a second. And just a little word about uh, Hebrew storytelling it isn't quite, or isn't, sometimes it's just like us, it's just like we tell stories, but, but we, in Western culture, influenced by the Greeks and the Latins, we, we, have, a, we have a tendency to uh, tell stories very linearly, right? We start at the beginning, we end at the end. That's how we know stories. That's how we understand them to go. A lot of times in Hebrew, the very important part ends up being somewhere in the middle, not at the end not the beginning. It ends up, the point is somewhere at the middle. We, we, the storytelling goes out, and then it comes back to a point. Now, this isn't quite that. It's a lot of words I've used to describe something. But the reason I say that 
is what we find in here, and I want you to watch for it, that one of the important things we see here is these silly household gods seem to be driving the issue here. Because he's going to spend six verses talking about them. So it says in verse 24, And God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream of the night, and said to him, Beware, lest you speak to Jacob either good or bad. Curious. Curiouser and curiouser. Beware, lest you speak to Jacob either good or bad. I could kind of understand the bad part, but why the good part? I just, I look at that and I think to myself, why is that? I think what we see as the good is we see that sometimes people will use flattery to get what they want. They'll say things that sound good, but really aren't good. And what God is saying to Laban here, key word, beware. You're treading in uncharted waters right now. I have come to you, Laban, and because you're following household gods, he's not a follower of Yahweh. He's not a follower of God. We'll see some phraseology that he uses later on where he refers to Yahweh as the God of your father. Not my God. Laban Laban doesn't refer to Yahweh as his God. But the Lord says, beware. Beware lest you speak to Jacob, either good or bad. Beware of how you're interacting with my chosen person. Beware with what you're going to say to him. Be careful in how you speak. So Laban caught up with Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his relatives camped in the hill country of Gilead. We could imagine that when Laban went, he didn't take his flocks with him. He was just in the shearing activity. Uh, We could imagine that he was traveling fast and light. I'm going to catch up to these people. I've got some words to say. That would have been the initial viewpoint. Or I've got to get things back. He obviously, we'll find out, has heard about his household gods being taken. taken, And he is chasing after them. We don't know what he is going to do when he catches them before he encounters the Lord. But part of me thinks to myself, and maybe it's because I've watched too many movies, that it is murderous rage that is part of him. At least he's angry. And he wants to take back what is his. But he catches up with them. He has traveled this distance. And then he has the encounter with the Lord. And Yahweh says to him, had to be somewhat terrifying. Beware. Watch what you say. Be careful how you act. When you come to my servant, Jacob. Then Laban said in verse 26, said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me? And we're going to stop, pause, just for a section. All I see in these stories, ever since the birth, 
ever since Jacob the heel grabber comes out, we have deception after deception after deception. So Laban is not wrong. And I would argue with you that he is not speaking good or bad. He's speaking truth. What have you done by deceiving me and carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword, like pirates? Like you have come in and you have been raiders in the land. And you have taken away my daughters. This is what we think is the catalyst, but it is not. Because there's household gods stand out there. And we're going to bring those back in. It isn't the first thing. He doesn't, Laban doesn't lead his story with the household gods. He leaves with my beloved children. You know, the ones that I deceived you into marrying the one, and then I got you into hard labor for the other one, right? These daughters that I care so much about, arguably, right? He said, but you've taken them away. You've, you've run like a robber. You've, you, you've run like, like, like some form of brigand. You've taken them away. You, you, like you've led them away by the sword. You've led them away like against their will. Now we know that's not true. Because of last week. We know that the, the wise were in full agreement of what would happen. That they were willing to go because they had no part in their father's inheritance. In 27 it says, why did you flee secretly and deceive me and not tell me? Ah, so quickly Laban forgets the way his countenance was and his sons were against them. Jacob was only looking after self-preservation for him and his family. But why did you see me? Why didn't you tell me? Look at this. He says, so that I might have sent you away with gladness and with songs and with tambourine and with lyre. I mean, this is just silliness. There was no part of that with the, the relationship that they had. This is just ridiculousness, he's saying. He said, had you only stayed, we would have had a big party to send you on your way with all the flocks that you have. But we know that's not true. Laban's a bit of a deceiver himself, as we are aware. He says, you didn't even allow me to kiss my sons, my grandsons, my daughters. Now you have acted foolishly. You have acted foolishly. And he says, look at this in, the, in verse 29, it is in my hand to do evil against you. It is in my hand to, to take, take matters into my own hands. It is in my hands to do whatever I want to, to, to get back payment. Now, we understand this from these ancient times. If we, only had, if we only had time to look at the Code of Hammurabi, right, which is very, uh, a very important Babylonian doctrine that we get a lot of uh, ideas about ancient law from, you know, in the Code of Hammurabi, what it would say things like this, it, it, you know, it, it's not an eye for an eye, okay? If you take the eye, you take a life in return, right? The Code of Hammurabi is more that if somebody wrongs you, then you get more in return, right? So that's what we have this, the, 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 these ideas of, so it's in my hand to do whatever I desire against you, to take it out on you. And there we get the title of the, this message, but God, but the God of your father spoke to me last night. 
But your God, Yahweh, you know, the one that spoke to you, the one that you saw when you were coming into this land, when you laid your head upon that stone and you saw the ladder and the Lord said he would be with you, that same God spoke to me last night. That same God came to me, a non-believer. He came to me and saying, beware of speaking either good or evil to Jacob. So now you have indeed gone away because you long greatly for your father's house. And here we go. But why did you steal my God? Why did you take these gods that belong to me? Why did you take these household gods, these things that would bring me good fortune, or I believe would bring me good fortune, or good luck, or whatnot, why did you take them from me? We're going to find out that they aren't very big at all. It isn't like he's got a trailer back there with a six-foot-high statue. They're much smaller than that. But why did you? Take my God. I encountered your God who came to you in a vision. Why did you take my gods who've never done anything? Just process that for a little bit. I just had an encounter with the God, and I'm looking for these ones that I fashioned with my own hands. The foolishness of the world that we see on display here. Why did you steal my gods? But remember, the problem here is that Jacob doesn't know what, what Rachel has done. Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, because I said, lest you take your daughters from me by force. The one with whom you find your God shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, recognize what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So there is a problem. He doesn't know what his wife has done. He thinks he's fully, his whole unit, his whole family group is innocent of taking anything that is Laban's. We're only taking what is ours. We have, we have earned. He said, Laban, I am so in the right. I am so not taking anything of yours. I am so confident that if anybody happens to have your household gods, you can slay them right here in retribution. You slay them right here in retribution. Now, these... Let's take a look. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. This just kind of pops up in my mind. Isaiah chapter 44, just a little bit about these household gods. Uh, if you go to Isaiah chapter 44, uh, it's worthy of reading all of uh, 9 through 20, but we won't do that. Uh, just kind of look at verse uh, 14. And we'll cover a couple sections there. So these household gods. Uh, in order to cut cedars for himself, he takes a cypress or an oak and raises it for himself among the trees of the forest 
He plants the fir, and the rain makes it grow. Then it becomes something for the man to burn. So he, he plants trees, and he burns part of them. So he takes one of them and warms himself. He kindles a fire to bake bread. He also works to produce a god and worships it. He makes it a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire. The other half he, he eats meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, Aha, I am warm, I've seen the fire. But the rest of it he makes a, into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships it. He also prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. The foolishness of these household gods, that these are just crafted things. These things like a lucky rabbit's foot that he takes, that he has, that Rachel has taken. So now, it says in verse 33, so Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, and into the tent of the, of the two maidservants, but he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle, so they're not big. Maybe the size of like a water bottle or, you know, like a, like a Yeti that you see. Typical of this period of time. And she sat on them, and Laban felt through all the tent, but did not find them. And she said to her father, she is thinking on her feet, because she has probably heard the promise that was made. But luckily, this family, I say that tongue-in-cheek, luckily, uh, this family is well-versed in deception. And she says, let my Lord not be angry that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is upon me. So he searched but did not find the household idols. These fashion gods. She certainly doesn't want to be killed. Nobody knows that she took them. God knows she took them. We go back and we think they're but God. God, and we would say now, we say to ourselves that we get to this part that Laban is looking for this. There's a death sentence that is laying out there, and we say, but God. But God cares for his people, even if they are deceptive. But God superintends what he intends to do, even if his people are sinful. God will see his, his, God will see his work through to the end, even in this situation. And then Jacob became angry in verse 36. So we've searched for the false gods. We have Laban that has come and found them. Then we have the searching for the false gods. And now Jacob, we would say he's pleading for his case. He says, then Jacob became angry because he didn't find anything. He said, see, we are innocent from what you're accusing us of. And he became angry and contended with Laban. Laban who holds this death threat against him. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, what is my transgression? In other words, what is my sin against you? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me, that you have came after me with anger and rage but have held back, though you have felt through all my goods? The same word for felt is the one that is used when Esau 
is stealing the goat fur, goat hair, on Jacob. It means to search intently, to look with purpose. Not a casual, but to penetrate into and try to find. Felt through my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Notice it's not even God's now. These things, these possessions of yours. You've had this encounter with Yahweh himself, and now you're looking for these little wooden or metal things that you bow down before and think do something for you. These goods meant to just be bought and sold or to be traded for other things. They are worthless when, in, in all honesty. He said, what have you found here? Hey, in fact, everything that you found, place it before me. Before my relatives, your relatives, so that we may decide between the two. Well, there's nothing there. He hasn't found anything. These 20 years, I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. And that which was torn of the beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You acquired it out of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So in this ancient time when the shepherd was in the flock, if, some, if, if a wild animal got to one of the sheep or one of the goats, the shepherd was responsible unless he brought back a piece of that animal to prove that he wasn't the one that lost it. And look at what he said. Uh, I've been such a good shepherd for you, I bore that loss myself. I paid you back that myself. I never brought back to show you what the beast did. I just bore that loss myself. I've been a good shepherd for you. Thus I was, by day the heat consumed me, and, by frost, uh, and, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. I toiled for you in the fields so that you would become wealthy. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. Now, probably that 10 times, we, if we count back through there, we won't find 10 times changing. What he's saying is a large amount. Just a euphemism of talking right there. Just to, you know, it's, it's taken hundreds of years to do this or whatnot. It seems like I've labored forever to get this done. He's just speaking euphemistically. And then it says in verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the dread of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands. So he rendered the decision last night. But God. But God is looking out for his chosen people. But God is looking out for his redemptive line. But God, even when we cannot see it working, he is working. We don't see God in the room physically working, but we know as Christ followers that God is working in our lives and whatever is happening to us at this moment is the best thing that could be happening to us. In the same for him, what is happening here is the best thing for Jacob and Rachel and Leah. So what we have is we have Laban 
so, so now he, Jacob has thrown his case out there. He says, look at the way you've treated me over these long years. I've been nothing but good to you. And look at what you're doing to me. How are you treating me like a common criminal? Look at all I've done. Look at what I've borne for you. I've given you grandchildren. Verse 43, a covenant. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, and the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine, but what can I do this day to these daughters of mine or to their children whom they have borne? So come now, let us cut a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. That first verse in verse 43 he doesn't see the problem or denying what has been done. John Calvin would say in this case that Laban has been hardened by his wickedness. Have you met a person that has been so hardened by their, by their deception and by the wickedness in their lives that they will never change? If I were to stop this message right here, I would say we could we could pull this right into the gospel and say, come to Jesus now, because the more you delay, the more your heart becomes hardened towards him. Come to Jesus now. Come now to Jesus, because your heart will be hardened. Laban's heart is so hardened, I would argue, that Laban's heart is so hardened that he had an encounter with Yahweh the night before, and he still wants little tiny wooden or metal gods that are hidden in the saddle of his daughter's camel. And he thinks those are gods. He has literally had an encounter with the God who created everything, and he desires these things more than that. Just remember, just because you have an encounter with God doesn't mean you will believe in that God. But he, and we see this, so we are, and don't forget, as Israel is hearing this story, they are seeing the maturity of Jacob happening. They are seeing Jacob being, being, being matured in his faith through everything that occurs. Even through his own deception, they are seeing Jacob being matured so eventually he will be called Israel. This is how it happens. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens through all these things. It happens through learning to trust in the Lord, learning to trust in what he's doing. It makes me think, as some of you were doing a Bible study this week, uh, John chapter 4 at the very end, when you see the, uh, I've mentioned it a couple times, you see the, see the man who comes to Jesus, uh, the uh, Basilicos, right? So he's a, he's a royal official uh, that comes to Jesus and wants his son healed. Because his son is dying. And Jesus says, it is so. It's been done. He's 20 to 25 miles away from where his son is at. It says the man believes, has faith. And then the man heads back towards Capernaum. And on that way, he meets his slaves who are coming to tell him the good news that the son has been saved. So he has faith at the moment uh, when when. Jesus tells him he believes that the son is healed, but then when he gets the confirmation that the son is healed, what happens? His faith has grown, right? He is maturing in his faith right on that walkway, 
right? Right on that, the, right on that pathway, his faith is maturing and his whole household believes because of that, right? We don't come to our full measure of faith. You know, let's put it this way. When we first become a believer, I would hope that you're not the same believer you were than you first became a believer. That you're maturing in your faith. That you're able to weather those storms better. That you're growing in your faith. And what we see here is we see this, we see this with Jacob himself. He is growing in his faith too. But God. But God has sees things differently. Let, let cut this covenant, you and I, let it, let it be a witness between you and me. Verse 45, then Jacob took a stone and raised it up as a pillar. Remember, we're going to have some, something to memorialize this situation. And Jacob said to his relatives, gather stones. So they took the stones and they made a heap. And they were there by the heap. Laban called it Yeger Sadhudutha, but Jacob called it Gilead. That Yeger Sadhudutha means uh, heap of remembrance, uh, heap of memory, heap of witness. This thing, will, this thing will memorialize what came between the two of us. To some degree, I think Laban is trying to save face by doing this. Nonetheless, God is using it. Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, it was named Galid and Mizpah, for he said, may Yahweh watch between you and me when we are absent one from another. This is the cutting of, uh, it looks, it has the feel of a blood covenant that has come here that will run between the families ad infinitum. Um, it's a serious thing, more than a promise. It is this thing that is between those two that, that all who see this will know this covenant is between those two. And he says, may Yahweh watch between you and me when I'm absent from one another. And then if you afflict my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see that God is a witness between you and me. God is a witness between you and me. The God of your father, Abraham, is a witness between you and me. We would pause there for a second and we would say to ourselves, oh, we see this sometimes nowadays. Maybe more so in the past. We, uh, some of us have been into courtrooms. Some of us have testified. We have seen court shows. And when you swear on the Bible in those courtrooms, when you're swearing to that testimony, you're, what you're swearing is that even though others in this room might not have seen what I've seen, God has seen and he knows that I'm telling the truth. God is the witness here. He sees the covenant that's cut between the two. This permanent co covenant that comes between them. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me. This heap is a witness, and the pillar is a witness, and I will not pass by this heap to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. Divided into lands of their own. God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judged between us. So Jacob swore by the dread of his father Isaac, that would be the fear of the Lord, of Lord Yahweh, 
Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his relatives to eat a meal, the memorial meal that is given at the, at the, at the cutting of a covenant. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. And Laban rose early in the morning and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. We quickly come to the end of the story, and it's sometimes hard to see little, little, little pieces of, of what God is doing. But it's but God. But God has done these things or allowed these things to occur. These conjunctions in the scripture give us great hope. But God. It's like this. Man does this, but God. Man chooses this pathway, but God. Uh, Showing that difference between us. We find great hope in this. In that, but God came to Laban, right? But God told Laban these things. But the God of your father... Seemingly, at any given point, it seems like that redemptive plan of Genesis 3.15 is always in jeopardy. When we just read the story without looking for God's work in there, we see it at every given turn. It looks like it's going to fail. But God, God said and God will do. If we go back, way back to the beginning, The plan in jeopardy, Cain killing Abel. But God. The the wicked world and a worldwide flood. The plan is in jeopardy. But God. A tower to the heavens to reach out to God. And the plan is in jeopardy again. But God. Having trying to have the child of the promise with a servant looks like the plan is in jeopardy, but God. Deceived kings and deceived pharaohs, the plan is in jeopardy again, but God. A father and a brother deceived, the plan is in jeopardy again, but God. At every single turn, turn we see ungodly human behavior and but God, we find him superintending everything, looking out for his people, making sure the plan of redemption is there. It is, not, it is for God's glory that he does these things. Through murder, wicked, evil behavior, deception upon deceit, we find God superintending his plan of redemption. Is there any doubt that we can have insurance of our own salvation when this is the type of God we worship? Is there any doubt that this God forgives us our debts and our deceits? Is there any doubt that this God, that a God that can save Rachel in this situation, who has deceived her father, can save you? But God. But God cares for his people. And we could say to ourselves, but man, I'm kind of like Laban. Deceptive. Maybe I'm lying to people to get what's best for me. But maybe I'm kind of like Jacob, deceiving my brother and looking out for number one. 
maybe I'm like, but maybe I'm like Rachel talking, taking what is not mine just to get back at someone. But still, God cares for his people. Maybe you say, I'm too weak. But God cares for his people. Maybe you can say, I'm too prideful. But God cares for his people. Maybe you can say, I'm too sinful. But God cares for his people and looks out for them. Maybe I'm too bad. Maybe I'm too unworthy. But God cares for his people. Maybe I'm a liar. Maybe I'm deceptive. Maybe I'm just not good. God cares for his people. You know how much God cares for his people? When Adam and Eve sinned directly against him, Genesis 3.21 tells us that he gave animal skins to cover them. He did not kill them right away. But God. You know how much God cares for his people? He's the one who shut the door of the ark to protect them from the flood. And he bore them through that. He bore that sailless, rudderless, motorless ship through unbelievably stormy seas to save his people. Now I want to think back to Psalm 3 where we left David. The last line of verse 2 of Psalm 3 was, there is no salvation for him in God. That's what the people are saying. And what did we find? Right there, that beautiful conjunction, right there in the beginning of verse 3, but God. You, O Yahweh, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was calling to Yahweh with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for Yahweh sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who all around have set themselves against me. You know, this psalm comes many, many many, many decades after the encounter that Jacob had with Laban in the wilderness. This comes to the patriarch David, who would have known the story of Jacob in the wilderness. He would have known the fear that Jacob had about Laban pursuing him. And now what does he say when he has had these experiences that his own son is pursuing them? Not only am I not going to be afraid of my own son, I'm not going to be afraid of tens of thousands of people who all around have set themselves against me because God is the one who saves. Arise, O Yahweh, save me, O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Your blessing be upon your people. Your blessing be upon your people. But God, we look and we see the human, uh, the way humans do things, the way man do things, the way I do things, the way as deceptive we are, but God will not be thwarted in his plan. But God will not be stopped in his plan of salvation, but God will not be stopped in saving you. First Peter 5, 7 
casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And in his superintendent care, God saves you in spite of you. But God. In our closing scripture, turn to Romans chapter 5 with me. Be like Imagine as their eyes, the Israelites' eyes are open to this and they hear this when Moses has recorded what the Lord has said, what he has told them about where they came from and they read the story and they, they understand where they came from and, and how it seemingly in every pass it, it wasn't going to happen, yet God does make it happen. And then think how that comes forward to us, how that, how that lands with us today in this church, how that story comes to us, forward to us, and we say, uh, you know, but God, but God saved me, and I didn't deserve it. But God saved you, and you didn't deserve it. But God. Not you, God. And look at verse, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's no other way to heaven. There is no other way to avoid hell. There is only Jesus. But God didn't hold back his own son so that we might have his righteousness. But God. Let's pray. Glory to heaven, Father. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the scripture. Thank you that uh, we have a building to meet in. Uh, thank you for all those that are here today. Please be with those that are absent from us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.